autism, where affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. My name is Gene Christian. I'm going to be hosting the podcast today for a real special reason, namely our guest. We have an exceptional guest today, and I was lucky enough to get involved and see how just exceptional uh, this person's work has been. And her name is Daria Brown. Introducing Daria. Um, Daria, yeah, the way just the, um, she has her master's degree is in personality psychology. She has an advanced ICDL provider certificate, and she's worked in the public sector for over 25 years. And anybody who is listening to this podcast or watching it realizes how deep her insight goes because you're familiar with her website. I think she is a remarkable guest, and you're going to find out why, I hope, as I as I proceed with the interview. By the way, she has, in that 25 years, she's done health and education research. She's um, done data analysis. She's not just a, an expert on DIR, but also a real expert researcher. And I am just awfully glad that, that she is with our movement. Okay. Well, Thank Daria. You. Thank you, Gene. <laughs> let me just say that I got the opportunity to talk with Daria um, several months ago, actually several times, and I just think that she is one of the most remarkable professionals in our group, as, as anybody familiar with her website should know. I'm going to open this by introducing Daria. And, and kind of asking her, um, her, her website focuses on Stanley Greenspan's theory of developmental individual difference relationship based approach. And I find her one of the people who's able to explain that in her website in just a remarkable way. Daria, how did you find yourself being directed toward Stanley Greenspan's work. And I need to throw in Serena Weider's name, Serena Weider's name, because they work so closely together. And she was so critical in the development of intervention for autism. But how'd you get involved in it? Well, um, if you go to the website, affectautism.com, under, um, I believe it's about, uh, I'll say it the American way, about, the Canadian <laughs> way, about. Uh, I believe there's a, a part that says about the author, and you can see there um, that I have a son. My husband and I had a little guy in 2009, and when he was two, he had a severe fever and then full-on seizure. We went to emergency, we came back 12 hours later, he had another full-on seizure and we were in the hospital for over three months. He had severe brain inflammation, that was an autoimmune reaction. So uh, we may never know why it happened. Um, the best theory is that his body somehow had an autoimmune reaction to a virus that could have been any virus that any one of us gets, a cold or anything. But for mm -hmm. some reason, some, 
something about him um, made his brain attack itself and it was uh, quite a trying time because he was developing on a normal trajectory as far as we knew and at 28 months old all of a sudden uh, he was laying there tied up to tubes and we literally I personally didn't know if he was going to be better and we were going home literally the next day or if he was going to die like it really I, I was flipping back and forth I didn't know what was happening um, and it's sort of um, it's sort of shocking when you go through something like that because it's the last thing you expect when you have a child and everything's perfect and you're so happy and you're watching him grow and develop and he was just starting to really communicate and talk with us at 28 months um, saying things uh, that were more clear and and it was so exciting and then all of a sudden he lost all of his speech and language and he slowly um, started walking, running, being able to see again. And we could see that he was literally looking through us the first few days and week. Um, and then being in the rehab hospital, getting OT, getting speech, um, they just threw out that A word, uh, blah, 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 autism, blah, blah, blah. I said, excuse me, what? Did you just say autism? And I really didn't know much about autism at all. But sure enough, um, about six months later, we got the diagnosis. He had regressed and lost all of his speech and language and um, was doing autistic type of behaviors. So um, it just was chance, divine intervention, whatever you may call it, that I happened to see the National, which is our, our national news broadcast in Canada, that had a feature on DIR floor time. Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model of Stanley Greenspan and co-developed with Dr. Weider. And um, at York University, they did this grand study directed by Dr. Stuart Shanker at the Mary Center, the um, M-E-H-R-I <laughs> research project that was, um, we talk about it extensively in my podcast with Dr. Stuart Shanker which I'll link to at the blog post of this, uh, this podcast at affectautism.com. And they discussed the study that they did with DIR floor time, where it literally showed children who had a diagnosis who were quite young, like two or three years old. They had one year where the parents were extensively trained and, and required to do DIR floor time at home. Uh, for at least two hours a day, I believe it was, and they, they standardized everything as much as they could. But what was different about this study is that they had brain scans at the beginning and at the end. And to date, that brain study has not been published because the researcher um, became sick and, and has disappeared and no one's been able to contact him. So oh, um, wow. there's been a few publications uh, from the speech and language aspect of it mm -hmm. that Amanda Bins was involved in, who, who I've done a podcast with. Um, but that brain study happened and it was on the news and it showed that at the beginning, the brains of the children had a lot of anxiety social in the social realm and um, some of the other areas, uh, the, the difference from neurotypical brains. And after a year, it looked more like a neurotypical brain in that they were more socially interactive and, and less anxious. And that's not to say that um, the goal is to uh, make autistic people neurotypical. The goal is to get that developmental trajectory 
moving in children so that they aren't stuck in that world where they can't communicate with anyone and they can't have a social relationship with those around them um, when they can't express what they need. We saw the frustration in our son. Um, he all of a sudden couldn't communicate as well and he was in his own world and we would try and interact with him and, and couldn't understand uh, how to get those interactions going with him. And to finish off the question, uh, DIR Floor Time spoke to me and I emailed everybody in that broadcast and asked, can we meet with you? Because I had already been taking uh, parenting workshops of uh, Dr. Gordon Newfeld's approach and he's yeah. a developmental psychologist in Vancouver and it's basically an attachment paradigm to parenting, but it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's, it's really hard to explain because it's, it's such depth theory about how um, nature is, has intentions for how we develop and how the developmental trajectory happens. And there are ways to facilitate that, that our culture has totally gone against. And Dr. Gordon Newfeld, just like Dr. Stanley Greenspan, all started off as behaviorists knowing uh, behavioral methods. And I believe you too, Gene, told me that you started off in behavioral methods and people uh, then have realized that the developmental way is, is the way that works and is the way that goes. It's the way that spoke to me. We dove into floor time. And um, within the first few months, we read Engaging Aut Autism by Greenspan and Weeder. And um, we had a floor time therapist coming to our home once a week. And my husband said, you know, we're paying $135 an hour uh, for this therapist to come once a week. And this book is so straightforward. And of course we have graduate degrees, so maybe it's easier for us, but it shouldn't be because this book is written at a level that, that should be accessible to all parents. And my husband said, we need to make a website. He was doing web development and oh. information science at the time. We need to make a website for parents because this should be available to everybody. Why don't you do that? Because I, I was already on unpaid leave due to medical compassionate from my job. And I decided if I'm going to do a website as some kind of authority, I need to have some kind of certification beyond what I had. And I just dove into ICDL and, and plugged my way through those courses. And to date, I'm the only parent who's done the 203 level advanced certification because usually it's professionals and clinicians and uh, that's when the CEO Jeff made me the parent advocate of ICDL so that I could say to parents you know what this this approach is something you can do and what I've really tried to do with this website is be that bridge between the professional lingo and the parents because I'm both, I, I've seen both sides and, and I can see where the eyes glaze over um, in parents. And I feel like I can really bring to them what the intentions were in Greenspan's mind um, as best as I can guess because he had passed away by the time I heard about floor time. Actually, I think that broadcast aired yeah, about a year after he had passed away. So I wish I could have met him. But um, anyway, that, that's how it got started. Wow, you've already gone through a number of my questions. <laughs> um, but I need to ask, for the sake of the podcast, you mentioned Jeff. Who's Jeff? 
I know, but our, yeah, our listeners may Jeff, not know. <laughs> Jeff is the CEO of the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, ICDL.com, the official home of DIR Floor Time that was uh, begun with Stanley Greenspan. And um, they, they run all of the training courses today. They're one of three places that, uh, that you can learn floor time from. And it's the original one, and that's the one I went with because I had a relationship with Dr. Gil Tippy, um, inquiring about about floor time when I first learned about it, and I saw Dr. Gil Tippy speak, and you know, it's <laughs> this is emotional for me to say, but Dr. Gil Tippy, when I saw his presentation, I felt like there's hope because he showed kids, he showed kids that looked like they had more serious challenges uh, and barriers than my son who had serious barriers after his severe brain inflammation. And he showed videos of them 10 years later. And now having the training, I can see that there's still some subtle challenges and, and maybe more profound challenges that those kids still had socially. But as a layperson, they looked like regular functioning kids to me. And I thought if that can be my kid in 10 years, Hallelujah. <laughs> so Hallelujah. When I, I, I was like fighting back from bawling my eyes out in this public yeah. presentation, watching these videos of Dr. Tippy uh, talking about floor, the floor time approach. And I just knew like this, this is what we need for, for our son. And now of course, um, having taken all the training and been doing the website now for almost four years, and interacting with so many wonderful DIR expert training leaders like yourself, um, hearing all of the different pools of experience. You guys all say the same thing, but in a little bit different ways and from a little bit different uh, disciplinary background. You're a mental health counselor. Dr. Gil Tippy's a psychologist um, and was a clinical director of school in Manhattan. So all these different, I've interviewed OTs, speech and language pathologists, all these different um, views and reading so much of Dr. Greenspan's work through the classes, listening to so many of his radio shows, you always learn something every time you listen. And it made me think back to the birth and upbringing of my son up until that brain inflammation. Yes. And, and I'm now convinced that there definitely were subtle signals there that were not picked up by professionals because they're just not trained in this kind of thing. Um, even when he was diagnosed, they went through this huge questionnaire with me for two hours, like two or three different times while we were inpatients at the, the rehab hospital and concluded that there, he was not at risk for autism. But of course, reading Dr. Greenspan, I now know he did not have that joint attention robustly that we see. He had tons of sensory issues, which were largely ignored up until recently. As, as anything significant at all. But that was entirely my son's issues from birth to age two. Breastfeeding every two hours. Um, if we didn't move him around and give him that vestibular input, he was screaming and crying. He wouldn't uh, sleep by himself. He wouldn't sit in a car seat. He wouldn't sit in a stroller. He was strapped to us all the time. So he had a lot of these sensory issues from birth and, and who knows where the brain inflammation came from, but it just exacerbated his his um, autism. So he has, uh, he's severe, severely developmentally delayed, but he's doing wonderfully. And he's moved up this developmental ladder exactly as all of you have predicted he would. 
and in your experience with children and in the whole model of the DIR model, he's moving through those FEDCs, those early functional, emotional, developmental capacities that are so essential before kids enter school, neurotypical kids enter kindergarten, they're supposed to have these in place um, in order to navigate the social world and learn academics. And he's moving through them slowly, 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 but surely. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> Daria, what would you advise for parents who are just becoming interested in DIR, want to develop a program, but are struggling to, to get engagement with their child. Um, what are your thoughts about that? That's getting that initial engagement and, and helping parents realize it can happen. Tell us about your experience, yeah. both yourself and other people that, in that area. Well, for sure I can say I've been there because the first, oh, at least year, um, we would just be frustrated. I would say, I try and play with my child, but he, he doesn't want anything to do with me. Just if I go up to him, he goes away. He's in his own world, blah, 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 blah. And of course, now knowing what I know and looking back, I just think it really is a process for parents as much as it is development for the kids because um, parents really, uh, in my experience, in my own experience and what I witness in other parents, it's really, really a hard pill to swallow when you realize your child's going to be different than typical kids. And it's not meant to say that it's insulting to people who have extraordinary needs or who, are, who have disabilities, who are autistic. It's just that it's so not the mainstream in our society and it comes with so many extra challenges that we don't learn about. Uh, parenting in general comes with challenges, but when you have a child who has developmental issues and developmental um, differences in the way they can learn to communicate and express themselves, and, and it doesn't just come automatically to them like it does to my nephews or my niece's children or you know other little kids that I see it, it doesn't come naturally you you really have to um, entice that out of your child through play and through interactions in the way that Dr. Greenspan noticed and wrote about so wonderfully so um, I would say that number one parents don't worry about this crunch, crunch, crush, rush, rush, rush. I felt it too, this urgency. I have to get him fixed before he starts school or he's gonna be behind. Guess what? Uh, this, this is not what people wanna hear and I didn't wanna hear it. He's always gonna be behind when you compare him to other people in certain ways. But guess what? He's gonna be ahead in other ways too. And he's going to just have a different trajectory. I remember um, my child was around four and I said to Amanda Bins, who was his speech language pathologist, and she probably doesn't even remember this and she, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this because I know she does, probably doesn't remember, but I said to her totally seriously, so in how many years do you think he'll be able to be in mainstream regular school again? And the look on her face 
spoke more than any words. Like, she kind of looked like this reaction to her, like she had no idea how to answer me. But I knew that what she was saying was regular school, like in her head. Like now that I think back, like there's no chance my son's going to be in regular school. I can tell you that right now. And it's now six years later. But that was hard. That was hard because yeah. you really, really think that your child just has to catch up and then he's going to be in regular school. And there's so much pressure to be with the other kids. Oh, I need to make sure he interacts with regular kids. I need to mainstream him. And that does work for some people. Um, in our specific case, I really don't think it would work because um, there just aren't the supports in place that he needs. He cannot sit still. He's very hyperactive. He would be a behavior management issue for mainstream schools. And so um, it would just be people babysitting and trying to stop him from destroying the place all day <laughs> because he's not engaged and he doesn't know what else to do. He'll start throwing or knocking things over. Whereas when he's in a place that he has proper support and engagement, he actually can learn and he's learned quite well and he's starting to read now. And yes, it's a lot later than neurotypical kids, but guess what? Like he out of the blue just read this book to me. and I was like, when did he learn how to read? Like he's picking up things left, right and center. He's plugging through those developmental capacities. But I would say to parents, it's hard to hear that because it may not be true for your kid. Your kid may uh, suddenly develop and just jump right into the mainstream. Other kids might have slower developmental progress than my son. Others might have faster developmental progress. Every single child's totally different. But the hardest part is that urgency that parents feel like, I must fix this now. And it's not about fixing. It's not about fixing. It's about um, being with the child and seeing, getting to know who is this child and how can I bring out and invite out what they have to offer the world by helping them communicate, relate, and think on their own. Because so many of the interventions out there don't allow our kids to have a thought of their own. Dr. Gil Tippy said people come to the Rebecca School all the time with years of ABA training and those kids have the hardest time because they've never ever been given the idea that they can have a thought of their own. And so at the Rebecca School, when they're prompting them, what do you want to do? What do you think? They're stuck. They're just used to following prompts and getting their rewards and, and doing what they're directed to do. And that's really, that's not what we want. That's not what I want for my child. I want him to share what's inside of him. I want him to express himself. I want him to share his thoughts. And he's now doing that every single minute of every day. So, you know, he's behind. He's like a little five-year-old and, and just turned 10. Uh, but he's chugging along. And yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's challenging to have been a parent of a toddler for seven plus years. That's challenging because when he doesn't want to go to bed and you go through every stage of protest for 10 years now and he's still not going to sleep on his own, that's draining on parents. But um, you know what? You bring a child into the world and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's our job 
to get to know this child and help him through the world. Um, and I would say that it's been lower lows than I ever imagined I could have, but it's also been higher highs than I ever imagined I could have because yeah. I adore and love this kid to death every second of the day. I just want to hug and kiss him. He's so sweet so wow. and so happy. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I don't, I, it's really hard for me to, to know what to say to parents because I tell you parents email me on a weekly basis um, and, and it's a lot of times it's that panic. And just to finish answering this question, which should have been a shorter answer. No, it shouldn't have. Is, is that um, not only should they not panic um, and worry about the rush, there's no rush. Your child will develop as they develop you cannot force a child to develop. They are gonna develop on their own timeline and you have to accept that. And that's the hardest thing to get used to. The second thing is I would say, find the best experts that know what they're doing to help coach you. And I've told Jean about this, but I haven't announced this to the audience. I'm, I'm developing a service to do just that for parents because I've struggled for four years to figure out how can I help parents in a way that I feel ethically okay with because um, I'm not a clinician. I'm not a professional clinician who works with children and can diagnose kids. But a few parents have said to me, you did all this stuff. You did all the research. You found all these resources. I want to do what you did. So that's what I'm going to offer to parents. I'm going to show them the access to the DIR trainers and, and give them ideas, um, show them videos of where our son started, how he developed along the way, what interventions, if you want to call it interventions, we did, which is really just a developmental approach. Um, and so I would say, you know, you're going to be spending money regardless on whether it's OT, whether it's speech, the evidence is out there. The, um, there's, there are now lots of um, research-based, evidence-based um, studies that show the developmental approach is actually more in line with what uh, developmental disorder, as it's called in the DSM-5 uh, of autism spectrum disorder, is um, it's a developmental difference. It's not a behavioral difference. It's a developmental difference. So let's work developmentally, like Dr. Gil Tippy says. And Dr. Neufeld gives out a wonderful theory of play and how play is where you experiment, you work with your emotions, figure out and test out all the hypotheses, all of the groundwork that's uh, laid for the future is based in play. We need to have that open play space where a child feels safe with somebody, preferably a parent or primary caregiver who's watching the child while the parents are at work, understanding that um, we're not going to direct the child all day long. We're going to facilitate interactions with the child and see what comes out and work developmentally along uh, challenging them along what they're capable of and seeing how they relate with us and all of the things that all of my blog posts talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That joy, that joy is in our work with DIR. 
Although there is a branch called. uh, It is about joy. Like what you said, that's what it should be. Therapy should be playful, fun, and joyful. Not a child sitting at a table screaming for three hours because they don't want to do this anymore. And I hear stories like that all the time about kids that are being forced to do these types of things because they think it helps. And, And I'm sorry, but learning skills of memorizing how to say hi or recite the alphabet that that is not learning how to think and and develop and relate and communicate with people so um that that's why i'm so passionate about the developmental approach because it's the right way to work with children and it's it's the way that children can thrive being happy and having fun and um really we're inviting that child out as I say on the website, invite out your child's invite developmental, out, yes. uh, developmental potential. Yep. I love that phrase. In fact, one of my questions, which you've done, is to explain why you said invite out. But you've, you've done that so well. You well, know? I, I stole that from Dr. Tippy. I heard him say that once. And okay. probably okay. stole it from Dr. Greenspan or somebody. Probably. <laughs> probably. Although I think Dr. Greenspan loved for people to steal from him, so to speak, <laughs> to some degree, if they under, yeah. Um, you know, you keep, you've used the term developmental differences several times. And that's a term, honestly, that I've been trying to, well, I've been using it and hoping people would pick up on it. And, and you have it on your own, of course. Maybe you and I can, try to replace disorder with developmental differences because that really describes what you were describing earlier. Um, honestly, I wonder, you talked about our initial study with the Canadian, well, not with, but um, at uh, York University and how the Canadian Broadcasting Company picked up on it and did a wonderful um, show about it which um, you can see the video of on the main page of my website i have yeah. that video clip from the news that i i watched yep mm-hmm. i am wondering if you, the, well after that of course we had the play project studies and several from around the world and we, we've been developing a really good evidence base but as i think i mean I've been with DIR since the turn of the century, and as I think about the big things that have pushed us ahead, I put that Canadian or that study, our landmark, our beginning landmark study that opened the door for the others. Your work with parents and your potential for work may well be as big an addition to our DIR movement as that first York study. Um, I, I don't want to sound, I'm just so impressed with what you do. And I know from many years of working with parents and helping them get on, many of them who are able to get on the DIR wagon and begin to shoot for that 14, 15 hours a week, even though most of them don't make it. And they don't need to because you see their kids making wonderful progress anyway. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. I still recommend the 15 hours. 
But the struggle parents have climbing on board and understanding our way of thinking, where we're much more interested in seeing the, the child initiate than we are seeing him be able to respond to some cue or stimulus. Um, you just, it, it's, parents have a hard time understanding that have a hard time having faith in it, I think. We've had a lot of successes here, but um, I still struggle with how can we get everybody on board. And I see your kind of work as just fulfilling such a critical niche where you combine that professionalism with, with being a parent yourself and, and your plans for expanding you know, to be even more helpful to parents in those dark places is, is just so excellent. I do want to ask you a question for all that, though. Um, developing faith that if I do this as much as I can with my child and I stay with it, um, I'm wondering how much you and your husband being, well, highly trained professionals, and you, of course, uh, psychology um, allowed you to be able to see the differences and why you know see how it was so important to stay with DIR do you think that had an impact uh, y'all being as highly educated as you are and especially in the areas you're educated in um. What exactly is the question about? I'm uh, sorry. As I, I, highly trained as we are, what was the question? Um, do you think it helped you develop the faith to know that if you oh. stayed on this path, it would um, become what it's become? Well, this is the reason why I had a hard time trying to figure out, um, you know, I could either go back to my nine to five job. It's technically still on hold for me. I'm on compassionate medical leave due to having to care for my son. Or I could try and really push this forward and try and make some kind of living off of it. And, and everybody out there wants to take your money. <laughs> Um, and, and I have a problem with this because we tried all kinds of different things. We went to an osteopath. We tried homeopathy. We did some other opathy, something or other things. And, uh, you know, we've done neurodevelopmental, uh, movements, um, Annette Benyel method and all of these things. Um, we've, there's a great place in Toronto called the Spiral Movement Center where we brought our son to movement, where he's done lots of movement exercises. And all of these things, we've noticed some of them, yeah, uh, so everything might help a little bit. And some of the stuff may be total scams, like I believe homeopathy and osteopathy and things like that are, are just uh, hogwash because I follow the sciencebasedmedicine.org <laughs> blog and um that's not to say i think all med medical interventions are great or pharmaceuticals are great it's not a matter of um, complementary alternative medicine versus traditional medicine but i think that there's a lot of people out there who want to take your money um, some of the naturopaths will charge 500 dollars for an initial assessment 
Like to me, that's just absolute robbery for a professional. It doesn't even take an oath the way doctors do to not harm. And uh, a lot of naturopathic things are quite harmful, even though they claim that they're not. Um, look at the chelation therapy that people have pushed through. So there's a lot of people out there that claim autism is something that can be fixed and just come to us and we'll fix it. And when you say that to vulnerable parents who just want everything to be okay, because it's not okay when my kid is screaming his head off, kicking and punching me, uh, wrecking the entire house. No, that's not okay. I can't deal with this. Make my kid better. That is really something that bothers me, that all of these people out there are marketing to parents that we can fix your kid. Because autism is something that is a difference and and yes it is a developmental disability and self-advocates will say yes we agree it's a developmental disability but it is also a developmental difference it they don't like the term disorder and i'm certainly not a self-advocate and i i can learn so much from self-advocates because um you know they can give me a lot of insight into my son that i'll never have but they also don't know my son the way i am but I try to learn whatever I can from the adults who are having these experiences and explaining them. There's a lot on Twitter that I've read um, from self-advocates. And, um, you know, there's a lot of professionals that research that you can learn a lot from, even if they're not autistic. And then there's other researchers that uh, I think are doing harm because they continue calling it disorder, problem, um, the way our developmental pediatrician wrote up our report about our son. Um, he was very difficult to assess. I would say, how about your boring assessment that tries to put him in a box he didn't like and you're trying to get him to do things that he, his sensory system won't allow him to do. So how about saying it was challenging for him due to his sensory differences? as opposed to, I found him difficult to assess. So things like that really, really irk me. And I think that that is a problem when I'm trying to help other parents because I have this bias. And my bias is towards a developmental approach. Uh, absolutely, I, I will argue it to the death. <laughs> and I think for a lot of parents, it's really hard. And, and it was hard for me too. I can just say that I've been there. I'm happy to disagree with people and I'm happy if they believe that their supplements are helping their child's gastro system, even though numerous studies have shown that supplements are basically useless. <laughs> and they're, you know, if they believe that, who am I to tell them no? But it's hard for people to be objective when it comes to their child and when they have their own biases about what they think they see outsiders see something different um but i mean really the bottom line is parents are going to be bombarded from all directions that's exactly why i made the website because parents can literally read and listen read the blogs on the website they're not date dependent you can go back to a blog from three years ago it's still applicable today they're like lessons really they're like um modules if you will for free and you can listen to all the podcasts and just start applying these principles 
and it's people have so much on their plate the last thing you feel like doing when you get home from a day of work is listening to some podcast and trying to do it but that's where parent coaching comes in so handy like let one of us dir experts or um a parent coach help facilitate what the DIR experts see. When they see your child, they can see the child's individual differences. They can see the different sensory processing profiles. They can say, let's try this for a week or so. Do this with your child. How did it feel? They can guide you through that path because DIR is huge. It's taken me, um, you know, I've been doing the blog for four years. I started learning about it seven years ago and i'm still learning stuff and every time your child changes and develops your dance with your child is changing and you're you have to do react in different ways because those um you know licking our faces stopped and then smacking our faces stopped and then kicking and hitting other kids at school stopped and then running at full speed to hug our friends and scaring the living daylights out of them stopped but now guess what now it's something else <laughs> So there's always something happening that you're like, oh, why is, why is my child doing this? But when you work developmentally, you're worried less about the behavior and you're worried more about why, what's going on? How can I help feel, make this child feel secure enough so he doesn't need to do that? And it's really a process for parents. So I, I would say that you really have to buy in to understand how important it is for the developmental process to unfold, to really provide all the conditions for your child to feel safe, to feel relaxed, to not constantly be anxious and having demands put on him constantly 24 seven by every single person. Um, it's our culture. It, you know, you bring your child to the relative's house. Oh, hi, how are you? How's school going? How was your day? How old are you now? What do you like to do? Whoa, 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 demands, demands, demands. Yeah, yeah. Our brains don't think like that. My, my yeah. son will randomly say something that happened three years ago, and he's saying it because it relates to something that he saw happening, and he's emotionally sharing an experience with us, and it's our job to sort of translate that and help, help him relate, but other people don't know how to do that necessarily. And then there's other people that are just naturals. They're just naturally do that. One of my friends who doesn't have any children, we went to visit a train show in the city where she lives and she was just watching my son just smiling and she's like, look how happy he is. He's just loving looking at those trains. And he was going, and the train goes on the track and then the train goes on the track, screaming. And all these people are looking at us like, What's wrong with your kid? Why aren't you controlling the child? And my friend saw him. She wasn't care to care about his behavior. She saw inside of him. Look how excited he is. She said, this is amazing that you're bringing him to these train shows. Keep doing this. This is what he needs. In instinctively, she knows the developmental approach. Um, so some people just have it and some people need to learn it. And even my husband and I struggle with it at times. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. Like I said, if you're, if you're trying to brush your kid's teeth and he smacks you in the face, what's your instinct going to be? Stop it. Don't hit me. Right. <laughs> um, that's, it's hard not to do that. So, um, of course you can't be a saint 24 seven and say, Oh, sweetie, I understand it. 
It's so painful to feel that toothbrush on your teeth. It's scary because you don't know what's happening. You don't understand yet. You don't have the cognitive, at the developmental cognitive capacity yet to understand the consequences of not brushing your teeth and how much it's going to hurt if you have a cavity and how we're going to have to put you under at the dentist. And you can't understand that. So you just have to listen to me and trust that I need to clean your teeth every day <laughs> or, or to not have to do. I see so many parents... Um, enticing their kids. If you brush your teeth, then you get to do this. Um, you know, kind of these consequences. Um, I'll give you this treat, but then, you know, then you've got to drive out of the house every time you're, you run out of treats because your kid, if he doesn't get his treat, he won't do what you wanted. So that's a challenge too. So, um, you know, like I say, it's a struggle for me to feel like an authority because I'm just like all you guys. I'm just another parent with the exact same struggles. I just happen to have more time on my hands and an interest in this DIR theory to be able to do a website. So um, while I appreciate the accolades and credit you're giving me, I, I really also feel like, you know, I'm, I'm just putting stuff out there that's already there. I'm just trying to make a path for parents who want to hop on the path because I'm not gonna be able to convince you if you're not there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I wish I could convince everyone, but. Well, the accolades, I believe, are well-deserved and the potential for what you can continue to do with what you're doing is so huge because, you know, working with parents for many years, um, having that kind of support from somebody else who's walking the same path is, could, I think, just invaluable and potentially invaluable for many people who, you know, may not know about what you're doing now and why. But that combination of having the professional depth to know exactly what you're doing, whether or not you have a license in something, as well as the emotional depth that grows out of the struggles that you and other parents have to face. Um, that's why the accolades. I think there's just, what you're doing is critical and the more you do of it, the more you're gonna add to our movement. And the reason we want you to add to our movement is we've all seen what you've seen, but in terms of its power at this form of intervention. You know, Dr. Tippy says it, Dr. Greenspan said it, it does not matter when in the lifespan you find DIR. And Gene, you're a perfect example. We did the podcast with you a few weeks back about how even adults, you know, your example was an adult in their 40s. Dr. Gil Tippy has worked with adults even into their 60s just by using these methods that the developmental individual differences relationship-based model offers about facilitating this thought process, you can really get these affective reciprocal interactions happening because maybe you just get in a rut and a routine and we do it with our son too. You get in a routine for a while where you forget about all that nonverbal communication and you forget about the affect and and really getting those interactions back and forth. But you always have to revisit that. And so you can do that at any age. 
and really notice quite profound developmental movement in your child um, to help them express themselves, to help them be able to relate with others, to help them to express their thoughts. And um, the, the developmental model really offers that. And um, you guys are witnesses to it. You've seen it happen at all different ages. And, and of course, when the child's super young, is the brain plasticity is, is more plastic or whatever, but that brain plasticity, they now showed that it, it's throughout the lifespan. So all of this neuroscience research is everything that's coming out. It may not be a DIR floor time study, but even Jake Greenspan has a lot of information on his website, Dr. Greenspan's son, um, about the neuroscience research that's coming out that's supporting this developmental approach. Um, the, the new book on the sensory integration, sensory issues, um, by, uh, oh my goodness, Elizabeth Torres, is it? Her I'm late, not sure, I don't know. Research. It's, it's under um, affectautism.com, under shop, under books. There's a bunch of books that have come out and um, and her work is not about DIR floor time specifically, but it's a, again about how it's in the body, it's sensory issues. We have to respect these differences in, in our children's nervous systems. So. All of this research is coming together that really um, hints at a developmental model of working with our children to really help support and bring out the person that they are inside instead of being trapped by their body that isn't responding the way that they necessarily want it to in whatever way. You know, for, for my son, it's that he, he can't sit still. He's always moving, so it's really hard for him to focus. For others, it might be sound sensitivity or it might be um, motor control or whatever it is. Um, DIR really is for all people, not just autism. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and for parents too, like, uh, you know, it, it's a journey for parents. We are learning and growing and becoming more mature and develop, improving our own emotional development by learning about DIR and by appreciating our son's emotional development, it makes us realize the emotional development that was stunted in ourselves. You brought that up in our podcast, Gene, that how many of us can have an argument with another person and calmly stay with it without saying, and walking away, which is a, a fourth level capacity of the DIR model uh, capacity to be able to calmly stay in a debated, heated, emotional situation and be able to stay regulated. Um, so yeah, it's it's people that are closed off to their emotions and unwilling to learn and look at their child and allow their child's emotional expressions will have a tougher time with this model. But for those that are willing to go there, the richness that you learn, the the relationship that you create with each other, with your child, is is well worth it for sure. Okay, okay. You know, I, I my wife was the first one to expose me to Stanley Greenspan back in the nineties, and I have a background in the disability rights movement. Um, I had disabilities even before I got old. Um, and, and what won me in this one article, it was in the Zero to Three magazine, was in the first paragraph he talked about following the child's lead. And at that time I saw it as, yes, you know, this, this is my background. This is disability activism. 
and I joined it, but I had no idea how much could flow out of it and what a rich, beautiful road it is to follow, even though, you know, there's hitches, as you described, and as you know far better than me, I'm afraid. Um, anyway, I'm just talking a little bit. One thing I wanted to point out, um, I know you, you probably know Amanda Benz far better than me. Um, and I know we both know she didn't mean to create those feelings in you. But I wanted to point out, this is Stanley Greenspan's point, one of his many points. But after affect and self-initiative, pre-verbal signaling, and although she struggled for the right words to answer your question, her pre-verbal signaling came across so strongly that that's what you took home. And it's that kind of ability to interpret that we're really working to bring out in our kids, but mainly we're working to bring out initiative or agency as, as um, it's called in some, some branches of mental health uh, professionalism, that ability to take over and take charge. And the picture on your, your homepage, just in so many ways sums it up. Because I think you are, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure you're stepping just a few steps behind your son. But the joy that suffuses you both and that you share in whatever you were, wherever you were going or whatever you are doing, maybe just a walk in the park, um, sums it up. Stanley always said, Stanley Greenspan, that children will progress at different rates and they'll go, some will go further than others. But the one thing that he seemed, well, he, he did almost promise, what he said was they will all become warmly related. And you describe how that doorway of warmly related being more so warmly related has led into so much development for your son. And if I could, could say it, I'm sure for you and your husband both, uh, it's just such a rich experience. Yeah, and, and Jean's talking about the homepage at affectautism.com. It's a picture yes. of my son and I running up a hill and he's laughing and I'm smiling and I'm a few steps behind him and we're running and it really depicts that following the child's lead. So whatever he finds fun, that's where we're gonna, we're gonna go to get those interactions going. Um, we're not gonna force him to do some boring, put these shapes in this bin, uh, tell me what's on this cue card. We're gonna follow his interest. He wants to run, okay, we're making a running game. I'm going to, Play, be playful with that. He wants to look at that train and watch the wheels spin. We're going to go with that. He wants to um, bounce this ball and, and throw pine cones on the roof of the school. Okay, we're making a game. Hey, can I have a turn? I want to throw one. Hey, hey, where's mine? Where's mine? Throw that on the roof too. And wherever he is developmentally, we're going to challenge him. So now he's starting to get into that imaginary realm. So Jane Greenspan gave me some great advice. The trains are now driving to a different country. Uh, and Maude LaRue said, well, why, why not? Are they, why aren't they going to the moon? Why does it even have to be something 
rational. It could be something way out there. Oh, this train's going to the moon. And so let's start playing and challenging him developmentally, playfully in ways that um, he can handle. So yeah, we're following his interests and his lead. And, and, you know, I didn't even realize that when I put that picture on the homepage. So it was a, a, a lucky, just happened to be a good picture I had of us. And little did I realize it, it had to do with following the child's lead so nicely. <laughs> yes, it really came a serendipity or maybe a, an unconscious competence that you weren't fully aware of. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know. I'll just remind listeners or viewers on YouTube that you can link to a full blog post at affectautism.com. You can uh, search Jean, G-E-N-E, or uh, Daria, D-A-R-I-A, and I will list um, a synopsis of what we've discussed because you brought up a number of things. I'll put links to, you mentioned the Zero to Three magazine. I'll put a link to that. We mentioned ICDL. We'll put a link to that. So all of these things um, I'll put links to that, that people can use as references. Um, the new, the book about sensory issues that I talked about, all of these things. I want to ask one more question and then I have a really, <laughs> a comment I really want to make. Um, the first question that I've wondered about, and I ask parents, or actually now I only do training and consultation because I've gone pretty deaf. But I, I would always ask parents, especially when the child is making good progress, how many hours a week are you able to do, given the complexity of life in this world? And I'm trying to learn more in terms of what we really need. But anyway, you don't understand my question. How has, I guess I want to ask you about how many hours you, you think you may be doing a week. Your child is making great progress. And so in many ways, I'm just asking you that same question that I've been trying to explore for years. You know, all, all yeah. of our studies are based on 15 hours a week, but it does seem like for some parents and, and children, it goes faster. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I know that in the, the nationals broadcast about that study at York, they um, said, please do two hours a night. Parents had to sign off that they would do two hours every day with their child. Um, when we first got consultations about floor time, we were um, asking, we were having a, a floor time therapist come to our place and they were telling us, you know, do this with your child so many hours a day. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I, I found it really challenging because I would try and do a game, but then our son wouldn't respond. And, and the therapist would, would kind of say like, do you see how we just did that? Do you see how you got that giggle out of him? Do you see, let's do more of that. And it was really hard for me to get away from this scripted idea of, okay, I'm gonna do this game and let's look up, okay, here are games we can do um, to throw all the scripts out the, the window and just look at my son, wait, watch, wonder, attune into what he's feeling, experiencing, doing, and see if I can jump in there. And in certain ways, my husband was much better at doing that than me. Um, but where I was better at my husband was with more um, discipline, bedtime kind of issues where I just want mommy. 
So, um, you know, when he got really upset and crying, I could really get in there and co-regulate um, easier than my husband could. Um, but in play, I found my husband was much better at <laughs> really doing uh, fun, playful things that my son loved. So everybody, Dr. Greenspan talks about that as family is a floor time approach and, and really having a strengths-based approach where um, a lot of families can get to that point where they're nitpicking each other. And we certainly still do that, uh, get to the point where it's frustrating and, and you're trying to tell the other person what they're doing wrong. Um, it's hard. It's easier for some people that to focus on strengths than others. Other families automatically just fall into that. But I think the best thing is focusing on who does what best and go with that. So um, if if my little guy is really distressed, he wants mama. He doesn't want dada. <laughs> he wants mama. He, he's, you know, I'm the one that breastfed him for five and a half years. Uh, didn't plan on it. It's just the way it happened. He was developmentally so young. He ended up weaning himself. He's the one that, um, you know, at nighttime, he needs to know my mama's here um, to feel safe. So it, it's, I think, less about, certainly in the beginning, you have to have some kind of way to start. And that's where Andrea Davis's book comes in so handy, Floor Time Strategies, where she goes through all the different things you can do. Um, but it's less important to me, and Dr. Greenspan may have disagreed, about how many hours per day. It's more about how are you seeing your child? How are you looking at your child? How are you interacting with them every minute of every day? Because um, you can sit there for 20 minutes and do a play session and then the rest of the day, you're being a drill sergeant telling your child what to do and ignoring them when they're distressed or, you know, say, don't do that now, I'm busy or whatever. <laughs> Different things. I mean, you know, parents are only human. They can't be this, I'm available, I'm here, I'm playing with you every minute of every day. We've got things to do. We've got laundry to do. We've got to cook. We've got to get the siblings to, I have no other kids, but other parents, I've got to get the siblings to here and there and that way and blah, blah, blah. And someone's screaming and crying and someone's hungry and someone just knocked over something or whatever. You can't just be that person there for the child all day long. So of course there's going to be moments where, you know, Hey, you go over there, do this. But just in general, I think for me, um, we were able to put supports in place where our son is getting good DIR um, people to work with him throughout his day as supports. So he's getting hours in the day when I'm not with him. And then when he comes home, it's more a matter of um, being attuned to how he's feeling, understanding what, what he needs, um, trying to interact with him and bring out those interactions. I don't even think about it as floor time anymore. It's just the way I'm attuned to him, the way I interact with him, the way I accept what he's saying to me, as opposed to, um, you know, like for instance, if he's in the bathtub and he starts splashing water everywhere, of course there are moments where I'll say, stop it, don't splash, hey, hey, don't splash. But other times I'll be like, oh, oh, we really have an urge to splash. Okay, let's close the curtains. I'm going to splash it over here. Ooh, and like facilitate what he wants to do instead of it being a behavior problem 
making it into a playful game that doesn't destroy the house or cause a flood or whatever. Um, the more you can just do that, because I know other parents out there, maybe they have the same thing. Like if I'm not literally, or whoever is watching, if we're not watching our son every second of the day, something's happening. He's shoving everything down the vents in the house. He's throwing stuff that's breakable. He's knocking over stuff that'll break. He got all the laundry and he decided to throw it all up on the curtains. Like, <laughs> it's exhausting. Like, he doesn't naturally necessarily just do things uh, that other kids would do that's seen as obedient. He's always going to be doing stuff like if we're in a restaurant, he's going to be trying to stick his fingers in your drink to pull out the ice cubes. So it's every second of every day we're monitoring. But at the same time, you have to give him that freedom to explore. So let's create a space where he can do these kinds of things. You know, I gave up on trying to have everything neat and tidy in bins. It drives me nuts because I am a neat freak. But, you know, my husband's much more lenient. Like, okay, let's play. All the toys are shoved under the bed. We can't reach them. Oh, well, <laughs> there's a floor time problem. Hmm. <laughs> you really, really want Owlette, but she's under the bed. Oh, no, I can't reach it. Uh-oh. You know, so it's more about just the way you interact with your child, I think, as opposed to floor time sessions, at least once you're into it for many years. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave me a big aha moment when you said it's not so much about how many hours you spend with your child as how you learn to see, perceive, and understand your child. And I just felt like a light bulb went on in my head. And as I think about successful parents, I'm, I'm going to think about a bunch of them and, and see if they don't, if that isn't maybe the critical ingredient that, that brings them along. And I am so proud of myself. Wow. I knew that we would have a gold mine if we could get you to be the one to, to be interviewed. I was right. This has been a gold mine, I believe. And I just can't thank you enough. I'm, I'm going to be one of your most ardent followers. <laughs> and four years ago was roughly about the time when I was beginning to leave direct therapy because of my hearing loss, you know, with little kids and becoming more of a consultant. But I wish during when I was, the time when I was, active that I had had your website to send parents to. I mean, Ictles has a great website and, and it has parts for parents especially, but it, it's kind of more professionally oriented maybe is the right way to say it. I just feel like yours makes it so clear. Um, but anyway, like I say, I'm real proud of myself because I was right. This has been a gold mine. Thank you, Daria. Oh, thank you, Jean. And, and I do would like to say that um, I'd love for parents to, to comment on how I can make the website easier to understand because it, this is something I struggle with all the time. If you go to my website, I try to make it easy. I have a start here link and I just have all the blog posts listed in categories that are helpful. But um, when I think about other websites, if you go to blogs, you usually look at the latest blog. You don't think the old blogs are relevant. 
So I'd like to maybe set it up where I have a podcast section and you can just go and look up topics because my website isn't really time relevant. It's more just constant content of topics to learn floor time from every possible different angle, from every discipline, from hearing from different voices. Um, so if anyone has comments about, uh, I would love it if you had this, then, uh, you know, I know everyone's going to say, I want a how-to guide, but doesn't work that way. But you can certainly um, gain a lot on how to make your own how-to guide in your head of things you can work on step-by-step um, from, from reading the different topics. So yeah, at, at the blog post at affectautism.com, um, you can comment underneath there. You could email me at the contact us link. Um, yeah. Thank you, Gene, for suggesting this. I've never been a guest on my own podcast, so that was really fun. It was overdue <laughs> to, to have us interview you. Well, I just want to finish by saying I understand your concerns about ripping off parents, especially at such a vulnerable time, maybe the most vulnerable time in their lives. But boy, you've got stuff to offer. And I see if you can work through that, because uh, we can sure use you working full time. Well, except for when you need to be with your son, <laughs> half time, whatever, continuing this journey for parents. Thank you. Thank you, and, and I'm open to suggestions from parents too. How, how do you feel like I could help you in any way? Because uh, I really struggle with that. Um, um, that's something I struggle with. That's why I think this service will be helpful. It'll be like, this is what I did. If you want the same kind of things, I can match you up with the people I talk to. I can match you up with people I recommend that I think will be really helpful to you. They're the experts. They're the clinicians. I'm only the facilitator. So I think I feel really comfortable in a facilitator role. <laughs> if, you, if that's what makes you comfortable, then be a fel, fel, excuse facilitator. Me, facilitator. <laughs> Thank you, Daria. Thank um, you, Jean. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.